Serum Visions is a Magic the Gathering podcast about iterative brewing. Each episode, we work on a project, a deck, strategy, or archetype that we think has room for exploration and brew to the fringes of competitive deck building. In this episode, we take a look at some of the new Crimson Val cards. Will any find a home in modern? After that, we check in on a developing brew with Wayward Guide Beast. Have a sip of your Blink Moth Tonic and open your third eye. This is Serum Visions. Welcome to episode 30 of the Serum Visions podcast, coming to you from an entrance to the Dorvan Mine. I am one of your hosts, Brian Madden. Joining me is the man credited with having written the Crimson Vows, Zach Ryle. How are you, Zach? Oh man, my wrist is so tired. It's just like, it's wedding, wedding season on Innistrad, and the blood fountains are getting <laughs> a little tapped out, but uh, you know... Hopefully we can make it through this one, and uh, we all know we're going to take home a big fat paycheck and all those sweet, sweet tips. Yum. Also joining us is the man who first transcribed Urza's saga, Arun Singh. How are you, Arun? I'm doing super well. You know, it's been a lovely weekend. I got to see Mulholland Drive in theaters yesterday, like a local theater was screening it by David Lynch. Ooh-wee. Let me tell you, I'm still like unsure what happened. It was a beautiful film, uh, but I need to think on it a little bit more. Was, was it a David Lynch film about the life of David Lynch? Because that's the only way it could really be top-tier confusing. It might be. I mean, I love Twin Peaks, and like this was huge Twin Peaks vibes, and you know, I still don't quite know what happened, but it was a beautiful film. And if, you know, the first thing I know is it passes the Bechdel test, which is like pretty rare, especially for an early 2000s movie. Yeah. Uh, so look that, at that was, yeah, I mean, it was a wonderful movie. Uh, still unsure what happened. And then just, you know, getting to record this podcast on the Sunday evening. Very fun. I love to hang and chill and talk with you guys. Yeah, it's been a while since we've spoken with Zach. He's been off. Uh, we thought you were fighting crime. Was it crime fighting that we thought he was doing? But it turns out he's just like busy winning. <laughs> busy winning in many aspects of life so you yeah. know always always happy for that hell yeah yeah it's uh it's a, it's been a thing i guess i've done a few things um yeah last time you were recording i was uh just on my way back from um from the face-to-face open in uh, toronto so i made uh top eight on day one and then day two did not do as well but you know you take that and then uh i don't know what i've done since then i Think I want a challenge? Yep. Yeah, you uh, did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty cool last weekend. Yes, yes, and, it was. Uh, yeah, yeah. I also watched the movie Dune. Um, not the David Lynch one, the new one. So pretty uh, proud of that. How did you feel about it? Okay, so pr- pr- question before I ask how you felt about it. Did you know that it was only part one? No, no, I didn't. the The film title was Dune. Right. Okay. <laughs> how did you feel? <laughs> Uh, I mean, so the the David Lynch movie is real goofy and over the top, and um, it's very difficult to take uh, certain parts of that movie seriously. Like, you know, it's just, um, but it was made in the 80s, and, you know, they they didn't have a, like, they did a pretty great job um, considering what they had. I also, like, I don't know. So, and they had a great soundtrack. Very, very memorable, in my opinion. 
And the new one, I don't know, it just, um, it was really, really shallow while it seemed to give you the impression that it wasn't. And that just kind of bothered me. I, I mean, if they're going to do two, two and a half hour long movies, I just don't know how it felt so shallow. And maybe Oops. it's because like I'm a, I'm a Dune fan. It's because they left all the substance in the next movie. <laughs> You think so? I, no, but like I just I just like in terms of the world building moments, it's like they they mention things offhand and these things are super important to like the world that is Dune. Yeah. Yeah. And yet they don't really explain what the thing is or why it's important. And That's, some things they don't even mention, but they show up all over the place and you know, people right. have freaky moments where their eyes go white, but you have no idea why or who they are or what they do. Right, right, right. The, yeah, they don't explain what, what the mentats really are. Nope. And like so per, per, perfect thing. If people don't know Dune, there's no computers in the future world of Dune. They don't explain that that's true. They don't mention it offhand, and they don't seem to, you know, kind of set up that that fact much at all. Huh. Um, yeah, right. Why would that be the case, Jiggy? What does that mean about this future world? Aren't these fascinating science fiction-y questions to ask? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know, computers seem pretty nifty. If we have them and we're in the Stone Age, I don't know how others... Societies, other civilizations wouldn't have them, but who really knows? What if, what if machines had taken over and enslaved mankind and almost driven us to extinction? Oh, I could. That would be a good reason to not build computers. That'd be in a new good society. reason not to build computers anymore. Yeah, but then how do we make spaceships and how do we build mighty civilizations? See, these are interesting questions. Yeah, no, sounds which... like cowards, if you ask me. <laughs> right. Well, a little bit, but they're they're religious nutballs too. So yeah. that's part of the mm. the deal. Is it becomes religious doctrine that uh, computers are are unholy machines. Anyway, um, listen it, for it, our it, next it, it, Dune podcast coming to yeah, a podcast exactly. player near you. But please but, don't. Yeah. Suffi <laughs> suffice to say, um, I highly recommend you read and or find an audiobook of Dune, the original book, which is fantastic and has all these details. Then the second one's okay. It gets a little really off the rails for the entire rest of the series. But all of the trilogies written by his son, Brian Herbert, and uh, acclaimed science fiction writer Kevin J. Anderson are super readable and interesting, set in the same universe. They do great, you know, world building. They have good characters. And it's it's just like, it's a little bit more readable it's kind of like comparing lord of the rings to game of thrones like you get that kind of big well-developed fantasy world but with much more modern writing and storytelling so respect we do have a new set and it's actually already out online sure is uh i just gotta say thank goodness this is like there's some cool cards but there's nothing absolutely busted i did not want to shake up before vegas and thank goodness well I will say, like, yeah, th that is a thing, but we should expect, and I want I want to be very clear with this, I've heard a lot of people talk about, like, oh my god, I can't believe the pace of, you know, modern becoming a rotating format, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, okay, listen, if every two years or so, we get a Modern Horizons set, and it changes it as much and successfully as Modern Horizons 2, I think that's a totally reasonable pace. Yes, it's a lot of new cards that get really expensive really fast, and you know that's a bit of a thing however 
it does mean that the standard sets aren't going to be as broken anymore because they're trying to shoehorn mm. in these legacy shots. And then the general pace of change is going to be, you know, very much what we remember from before, which is every new standard set has like one to mm. four playable-ish cards. So that's kind of cool because like we get a real injection of cards intended for the format in one go from one set from one source that we know about. And then the rest is that slow build up that we're we're kind of expecting yeah yeah you know that's a good that's a good way to look at it like you know i guess i hadn't really thought about that but yeah rotate a decent rotation every two years where they, a lot of the decks stay intact and a lot of new ones appear that seems right. pretty reasonable i i would say right and like this one had things come back when was affinity playable before this yeah. right opal not even when mox opal was legal <laughs> yeah that's true yeah, like Affinity never did particularly well back then. Now it's top eight at a couple challenges. That's a big win. Well, and I th- and yeah. I think that if you're uh, f- like an FNM level player, if you're not chasing challenges, if you're not chasing GPs, mm-hmm. I think the the field is huge. You can play so so much, and it is totally right. competitively viable at that level. Yeah, I, I want to mention, I was listening to the midweek, meta, mid-week metagame last week when Canister was uh, your guest hosting. And Canister has now started, uh, and his Discord have started, I guess, used to, I remember being able to do this like all the time on the old Magic Online, but if you stay in the challenge and if you don't exit once it's over, you can watch the replays of like every single match. I remember in the old Magic Online dailies, you actually be able to like watch your opponent's last match. So like every... Before all you were, you know, after the die roll, uh, you go back. I like I remember manually clicking to my opponent's old match and like Magic Online dailies and seeing, okay, like you know what were they playing, so I had a better idea. But has started in, like cataloging the whole meta game, like watching every single replay and getting what every single player's deck is, which is absolutely incredible and it will be a huge boon. Uh, but even like going through it, I think this was two challenges ago. It was like a hundred thirty-six person tournament. Uh, there were 10 players on Hammer Time, 10 players on Merc Tide, and then everything just kind of dropped down, and the, most of the decks had either two or one person playing it. So just, Wild. even like, you just, yeah, it's just like, the, the, you know, like, probably fit, like 40 to 60 different unique decks and like different archetypes in the Modern Challenge is just kind of, honestly, mind-blowing, like how open Modern is. Love it. Love to hear it. Either yeah. like the, the you know hammer time the top deck ten out of one hundred thirty six you know that's like not even like eight nine percent maybe like that is wild sweet yeah yeah and I mean even at, like it's not even doing that well in the net like the, the hammer time's not putting a huge number into top eights right now and not even that many into top thirty twos at the moment but it's kind of ready to spring back any time that the the hate dies down much like the two cascade decks like sometimes they're they're having like a really hot week and then a little bit more of their hate and respect comes back for those decks so again it's it's really really powerful yet really really fun and it's all well in balance i don't think anyone feels like anything is uh too much more or uh, or less viable than the others well bringing it back to new cards <laughs> uh, <laughs> good call uh, maybe some of these cards will end up making it in modern. Um, so I, I I noted a couple down here. Um, the first one I'm particularly interested in is Voldaren Epicure. This is a single red uh, for a 1-1 creature vampire. 
And when it enters the battlefield, you deal one damage to each opponent and you create a blood token. Um, and really the thing that interests me here is the creating of the blood token. Um, so this <laughs> is, you know... Would you, would you call this Thraben Inspector at home, Brian? <laughs> I, so I don't know. I don't know if this is the red Thraben Inspector or not. You know, there's some... Uh, I, I think clues are probably better in a vacuum. Um, because they don't require the discard, but having an additional discard outlet like this is actually kind of interesting. So I really am going to be watching closely to see how blood plays out. I, I think this is a very interesting new token type, um, mm -hmm. and I'm hoping that it, it can kind of boost some maybe more fringy strategies that want a discard outlet, but don't necessarily want to play like bad discard spells. And so now maybe you can play something a little bit better, get some blood tokens for free. I don't know what that is. I don't know what those look like. You know, there's a bunch of blood makers in the set. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. You know, it's one mana, it makes two permanents. So that's already really interesting. Um, <laughs> the fact that it pings for one, that it deals one damage to each opponent, so it doesn't target, that's also kind of interesting, uh, especially if you start doing like Blink's shenanigans or if you can recur it from the graveyard with Luris. So I don't know. There's kind of a lot going on here. And again, not sure if this is the Thraben Inspector at home, but I, I think this might be... Uh, a sneaky good common it in red yeah i i buy you know anytime you know you have a you have a two for one essentially like sure you can't really do much with the one one and the blood token isn't necessarily card advantage unless you have a way to leverage to leverage it but you know one mana two for one there's something here and you know it might not be now but i wouldn't be surprised if this winds up as a key role in a new deck that comes down the line when you know gandalf the gray comes out and it's just like <laughs> somehow gandalf loves blood tokens who knows you never know well gandalf does love the blood of the innocent uh, let me let me ask you zach uh this is in red right now indomitable plays hard evidence is this I mean, I guess there's there's upside to hard evidence because you can play it at instant speed with the fairy out, but this is in yeah, the color but, but of if indomitable you're, if creativity. If you're not if you're not playing uh, to fairy, then that would be interesting. The the downside, Brian, is this is a creature and or artifact that you're gonna <laughs> indomitable creativity into. That's true. It would not fit in the indomitable deck at all for that very reason. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep. But otherwise, <laughs> yeah. I, I like I like where your head is. It's a good idea. Yep. It is a good idea. That, that said, um, I, I think a cool way to look at this is that if you compare this to Insolent Neonate in terms of being a, uh, a discard outlet, um, it's not as fast as Neonate. Neonate can set up a turn two Goryo's Vengeance, which is, you know, sometimes important if you're doing that kind of hyperlinear strategy. But it does create a, a, a permanent a artifact doodle um, thingamajig. And... Uh, that could be relevant for play with the other half of some of those decks, which is usually having an Urza Saga component to them. So it's it's a little bit slower than Neonate, but it's better for anything that has that artifact synergy. So it's, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of like the Red Thraven Inspector. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to get too ahead of myself in calling it that. Maybe, maybe <laughs> Thraven Inspector yep. is the white Voldaren Epicure. Yeah, I mean, if Mox well, Opal no, was still legal, I would be so much more interested in this card. Yeah, yeah. well, there'd be a lot. Of <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of things I'd be more next interested in. <laughs> now, next up, my, I've never seen this card before. My eyes must have been um, fleeting past it. 
Halo. Yeah, I missed this also. We got the fleeting spirit. It's one and a white for a three-one spirit. Exile the sorry one mana, one white mana. Exile the three cards from your graveyard. Fleeting spirit gains first strike until end of turn. So three-one first strike. Okay, that's pretty okay. It also has discard a card, exile it, then return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. So it's able to protect itself. Yeah. Uh, well uh, okay so i added this to the notes uh for one reason and it says discard a card and there is no cost associated with that um true that so and it isn't white which is which is weird yeah yeah and hasn't had white hasn't had one of these i think green has news constrictor legal and modern Mm. which is like you know, they should have just reprinted Wild Mongrel, but whatever. Go ahead and kill the past, Watsi. You still didn't give I, me a Psychotog. I'm so with you. Give me my Wild <laughs> Mongrel. I want to change colors. I, I want mean, my Rainbow Dog. The thing the thing I'm satisfied about with Mon Horizons is there hasn't even been a Psychotog reprint or even a reference. I mean, I actually... Well, yeah, where is the Psychotog? I don't even they, want... they got to psych- save something for MH3. They, they, I think that's what it is. I hope they so. They put in upheaval. We, we, I we know. need the Tog. I mean, Tog wouldn't even be good. You know, I hope they, like, make a new, like... Two, three no, legendary tog. No, that, I just like... I want psychotog, or 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 maybe in Dominaria United or whatever that set's gonna be called. Maybe there we could get a psychotog reprint. Psychotog's fine for standard. Yeah, but I want to play psychot. Burning tog in like old decks, and it was one of my first decks that I truly fell in love with and just like really learned to master. And so I would. You know, I, I would like a Psychotog I could play in my... I don't just want eye candy Psychotog, mm. which I would definitely appreciate. <laughs> but, like, if I could relive those days, I, those Lloyd days... I'm greedy and I want both. I want you to have your thing, but I also just want regular old Psychotog in the format. Because it's egregious that it's not legal. That, that's, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, it makes me sad. It wouldn't but, hurt anybody. Oh, well. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, well, so... White has a discard outlet that is free and repeatable. Yep. That's that's basically that's basically why I added it. Uh, I have no idea what it would go in. Just uh, seemed something noteworthy. There are very mm-hmm. few unlimited discard outlets. So yeah, might that be said, might be something for a combo down the line. That said, we've got a a, a affinity producing masterpiece here. Uh, what colors is Grinding Breach in right now, Jiggy? Yeah, we are blue red. I mean, I've definitely thought about it thing it's like do you need like affinity is your issue the number of small artifacts you have in grinding breach i don't think so your issue is when they like omnath ephemerate evoke solitude you know just like blah spew your like oh i have four construct tokens now i have none and i and they have seven cards in hand mm. but i do you know I, so the card that Zag is alluding to is, I think, one that like a lot of people are super interested in. This is Blood Fountain, uh, beautiful art. You know, if I were a vampire, this would probably be even better art. Uh, but <laughs> I'm not a vampire, and yes. so yeah, yeah. Keyword. Uh, so Blood Fountain, single black artifact. When it enters the battlefield, create a blood token, and then three black sacrifice it to return two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. And uh, what it, you know, I mean, the big thing, this is two artifacts for one mana. Hell which yeah. Which is, yeah, yeah. Brian, so I'll, I'll let Brian yeah. go, on, go on about this a little bit, because Brian, you know, this is like Brian's bread and butter. Uh, this is probably my favorite card in the set. Um, like Jiggy said, one mana artifact that creates an artifact on ETB. Uh, it can be bounced with Orion. You can recur it with Emery, go up on artifacts. 
Uh, late game, you get two creatures out of the yard, which makes Emery so, so much more playable because that was always one of the, the big things. It's like you might mill over mm-hmm. your creatures, and especially if you're in a very creature light deck, that can be problematic. That was one of the reasons I was super excited for the Underworld Cookbook when it got printed, knowing that, like, oh, cool, now I have a way to recur creatures that get milled by Emery and she's less of a liability. Um, but yeah, I think that's awesome. Uh, I think this would play well in food decks. Uh, it's in the right colors to play with Tezzeret, um, Agent of Bolus, which always makes me happy. Um, and I think the only thing that could make this better is if it were colorless or if it costs less to activate, but then it would almost definitely be way too good. I mean, something though this really in- most interests me is... Uh, you know, I think I've talked a couple times about the mono black amber list that I've kind of been dreaming of, and we've slowly with Valentin, Dean of the Vein, and like slowly been getting the pieces for. Uh, this is, you know, like especially getting Urza Saga now, the mono black amber list could likely lean into being a saga deck, and you get to play like four Blood Fountains, then like your four your four Urza Saga, and also Liliana of the Veil vale, because Liliana's kind of busted. Liliana and Saga sounds kind of hot, honestly. Like that sounds that sounds pretty intriguing, and then. You know, like, there's, <laughs> I don't know, I just want to put Force of Despair in a deck, man. Like, I don't know, it's just, like, so fun when it works, but it's also so garbage when it doesn't. But hey, you can pitch your extra legends to it, and maybe you don't need a second Blood Fountain, so you just want to pitch your Blood Fountain. Yeah. You know, probably not, but it's, you know, this is just one more kind of piece of them one day, and especially once I'm done preparing for Vegas and with Vegas, I think I'll definitely work on that Dream Black Mox Amber Saga list, and maybe this will probably be a key part of it. Yeah, I, I think this just like one mana enables a, a one mana turn to an Emery with nothing else. Uh, like there's just there's so many little little things that this is, I, I think, going to enable and do. Um, and shout out to uh, Horny Vegan for getting a 5-0 with a food list featuring four of these already. It was like Thursday afternoon and uh, they were posting in the Wurza Discord their, their 5-0 or maybe it was in our Discord. I, I don't know. I see them all over the place. I just love it that Horny Vegan is playing a food deck. That's just, like, too good. <laughs> With blood fountains. Yeah, I know. I really want to think about the connotations of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, like, is, is this blood, is blood vegan? All right, and we'll go to this last card, which I've actually seen Zach messing around with a little bit in some of his brews when he was streaming. Uh, so, Zach, you wanted to go tell us about the Dollhouse of Horrors. I do, but uh, I'm on my second league trying out a different deck with it, and I uh, am not super, super hopeful, so no! here, here, here's the deal. I know, I know, but 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 here's the deal. I, I still love the card, but I haven't activated it once yet in uh, eight matches, so, um, so, but, 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 I have been winning some of those, so <laughs> the decks work, so we got a five-mana artifact. It has one mana tap, exile a creature card from your graveyard. Create a token that's a copy of the exiled card, except it's a zero zero construct artifact in addition to its other types. And it has this creature gets plus one plus one for each construct you control. It gains haste until end of turn, activate only as a sorcery. So it's really, really good in theory, with anything that has a reasonable ETB trigger. It's also good with Urza's Saga tokens already existing, although they're going to dwarf your dollhouse tokens in size most of the time. 
Uh, that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that, you know, the, the Saga tokens are going to be enormous, whereas these are only the same size as the number of constructs you have. Uh, notable constructs in modern are a couple of the Arcbound creatures, but not Arcbound Ravager. Um, Ooh. Yeah, some of the cards that are less popular in hardened scales, like the Steel Overseer. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, I think the best one by far has got to be Thought Monitor. Thought Monitor. Um, so that's a construct. Walking Strap Ballista, trawler, right? Walking Ballista, hanging, Hanger Back Walker, okay. uh, the entire Gear yeah. Hulk cycle. Yeah, um, Hanger Back Walker and Walking Ballista are really, really bad. Well, they're not really bad with this card, but because they don't come back with any counters, they don't do anything with this. So with this card, what you want is something that has a good ETB. Now, that said, the reason I was so interested in it is to put it in a deck with Thought Monitor, but also a deck playing Urza, Lore Haya Artificer, because you can get back an Urza out of your graveyard with this for yep. one mana. So maybe where I need to put this is more of a Wurza deck. It's also pretty good with Emery. Um, it's good with Thought Monitor. So maybe I need to lean a little bit more into some of the blue cards because uh, the, the list that I've been starting with, we're trying to get this into play using Oswald Fiddlebender and a lot of the white cards in that shell. The problem is, like in theory, it's good with Stoneforge Mystic or Ingenious Smith. Um, but in practice, I usually just win the game before that this would become part of it. Or, you know, it's, it just hasn't been relevant. So there's a lot of tinkering to do. Um, maybe it just goes in a more blue-based, more Urza-based deck, like the Burza deck that I played a while back. Um, that's possible. Lightning Greaves is good technology, though, so uh, I definitely want to keep playing that in certain shells. But I mean, You've actually, I know, Zach, like when you're talking about this, it's kind of inspired me. I wonder if... I've been messing occasionally, like, haven't done this for a while, but I've been messing with these blue-green Kinnon shells with using Urza Saga and Springleaf Drum to, like, subsidize, you know, play bad cards to subsidize your bad cards, and then play Saga to, like, make everything medium. But this in a... You, like, returning the creatures, like, you know, you mentioned Emery sounds really good. Like, even returning a Kinnon, they kill your Kinnon, you get a Kinnon back that opens up a whole bunch of mana again. You know, these high-synergy decks that just need these pieces to survive, and they never do because you're paying two mana for a 2-2. Uh, but you know, bring back Kinnon, etc. So, yeah, that's kind of interesting. That might be. I might look for that, and you know, once again, once I'm done with Vegas, uh, I might test this in the Kinnon and a blue green Kinnon shell. Sure. Uh, well, I would love more eyes on it because I feel like I, I'm just like one person tinkering away in the dark, and I, I, I you know, I, I haven't found any even any reasonable success with it so far but um we should that doesn't mean i want to stop it just means it's not promising we, yeah it's, it's a tough nut to crack i mean five mana you know five mana is a lot like you know that's more mana than jace you're talking right. about i don't want to i don't i don't want to pay that i want to fiddle bend into it or were for it or have an urza yeah. or you want to have kinnon springleaf drum mox amber and yeah, then you can yeah, tap that, one that, that, that you can tap too, one yeah. land and then one creep one springleaf drum one amber and you get to play your dollhouse yeah. Right, and that would be an okay Emery shell because Emery mills stuff in your graveyard that this could then yes. activate on. Um, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that like Mord to Light was like, I want to do this with Primeval Titans and like Archon of Cruelties, uh, which which is crazy. Like that is super super powerful. So yeah, I yeah was... it's a cool. This is this is a cool card. <clears throat> I was uh, looking at lists both in the Kinnon vein because uh, needed to get to five mana and uh, also uh, mostly Demir lists last night, although I was interested in white. Um, 
I, I don't know. I, I'm with you. I think the hardest problem right now is just getting it into play reliably. And uh, that five mana is just so awkward. It's like... Well, you can fiddle Ben into it off of Frogmite. That, yes. That's like my one sort of like semi-clever thing that I'm semi-proud of. Uh, <laughs> but in practice, the first deck that I've tried to do that with has not has not been going particularly well. So Well... I don't know. I will send along the the various sketches that I have come up with. Although I don't think that any of them are particularly good yet. I hey, any any one of them only needs one good idea to have been worth doing. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. this this is definitely this is gonna take a village to you know make a functional deck with this card. Well, this is this mm. is basically well, what I'm all in just, on at this point. Like, I, uh, or it just slots into something with were. That was the yeah. yeah. So that's why the blood fountain. The blood fountain is very appealing. Just get artifacts ah. on the board as fast as possible, so you can have a big war turn. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Mm. yep. Anyway, I like this. Um, we do have a couple more cards here. Uh, uh, Brian, vampires kiss. What what's what's the deal with the vampires quote unquote kiss? This this seems in the realm of a dementor's kiss. This is not a kiss <laughs> that I am interested in. I mean, I am, but only because. You know, I had that goth phase when I was... Anyway. <laughs> uh, so Vampire's Kiss is one and a black for a sorcery. It reads, target player loses two life and you gain two life. Create two blood tokens. Um, so this just caught my eye as something... Uh, you know, I, I'm always on the lookout for new cards for uh, Citadel. And this kind of checks the boxes because it gains you to life when you play it off of Citadel, which makes it uh, quote unquote mana neutral, but it also produces two permanents. Um, and so after, you know, I thought about it for that, I kind of, I've been sitting here wondering like, is this above rate or not? Because you're getting two permanents out of it <laughs> and you're getting this like mini lightning helix like effect, the, the, the lightning wheelix, right? That's what we're calling it, the lightning wheelix. Uh, sure, I like that. yeah. Sure, I like that name. Let's do that. But, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if this is worth two mana or not. Like, are you getting more for your two mana than it? I honestly didn't read this card very well because I there was no way in my mind that they were going to give you two blood tokens for this. Right? That, yeah. That's that's really interesting. I don't know if this is anywhere in the realm of good, but I definitely agree with you that it's like, oh, holy crap. Yeah, I thought it was one at first two, and I only read it because yeah. it was a drain for two and it cost two mana. And then when I saw it again, I was like, wait, two blood tokens? It was like black, red, indomitable creativity. Here you go. Oh, yeah. There you go. This is the card, Brian. Yeah. This is the card. You did it. I mean, you didn't mean to on the other one, but this one, you did it. Um, and it would fix your problem against burn decks. Um, yeah. Not that the black-red versions of Creativity normally have as many of those because they've got Archon of Cruelty, but that's not the point. That's not the point, sir. Well, you know. Yeah. Uh, Good find, Brian. I would, you know, like, I... <laughs> I would not even have dug for this card. Uh, and, I mean, no, it's mm -hmm. really... It's interesting. You know, you two... Yeah, it creates two blood tokens. Like that is, that could be relevant somewhere. Someone smarter than us can probably make that relevant. Well, and there's there's been a, a at least it feels to me like an increase of effects or um, spells that care about artifacts uh, in black recently. Like deadly dispute can sacrifice an artifact to draw two cards, make a treasure token, right? So now. We've got like this way to make some artifacts that's a spell, you know, like we're making relevant types for other 
useful black cards. I don't know if you've played with Deadly Dispute, but it's actually pretty sweet. Um, turning your food or your blood token into a treasure seems really relevant and drawing two cards. Yeah, you just spent four mana on it, but now, uh, you know, you got a mana back. I don't know. There's just a lot of <laughs> uncertainty here around these cards for me, but they seem like they could be right on the edge of where you want to be. Huh. Yeah, then, yeah. That's interesting. I will give you that. And then the the final card, I would be just soul shattered if I didn't mention the fact, because I've cast this card a number of times already, and it is sweet as all get out. It's the whole breaker horror, the kraken of my dreams that I didn't even know that I had. Uh, you're spending five blue blue for a seven eight kraken horror. That is an amazing creature type, by the way, um, with flash, and it can't be countered. And then. <laughs> Whenever you cast a spell, choose up to one return target spell you don't control to its owner's hand or return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. So I have to interrupt real quick. So this is this is thing in the ice all grown up, right? That's kind of what they're implying here. The seven eights. I, I, mm, I, I, it's definitely an homage to thing in the ice. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't actually seem to have that many connections to think like, yeah, I guess so. I, Seven not, eight bounces I, if, things when you know triggers on on spells being oh cast. Oh yeah, I, I, I get it. I'm just saying like it's just not like it doesn't bounce all like there's no line on it about non horrors or like yes yeah, I think so but it's just like it was one of those things that I didn't see it because it's so non obvious. Right? Yeah yeah like, yeah yeah. Oh, I totally you know I mean just like young pyromancer and seasoned pyromancer. You know there's a lot of suggestions that young seasoned pyromancer is young PZ all grown up. Right, right, right. And, and all the, uh, the Awoken too. Horror versus the Hullbreaker Horror. Yeah, we just always think of Thing in the Ice as Thing in the Ice. Yes. I just yeah, think yeah. of it as a flipped Thing in the Ice. I don't think of it as the Awoken Horror. Well, how could you, how could you like, disregard his identity like that, Zach? That's so rude. I, I, you know what? It does identify as an Awoken Horror, and I should respect that. And I'm, I'm so, so sorry. Um, but yeah, so uh, obviously seven man is a big ask. Uh, however, I've played it with uh, Wilderness Reclamation in which deck it is super, super good. Um, if you are clever enough and you put excellent cards in your deck like Renin Six, you can also just end up hard casting this in a lot of matchups, especially uh, matchups where your Wilderness Reclamation is not <coughs> easy to resolve. And finally, um, I'm going to try this with Indomitable Creativity as uh, <laughs> yeah. a creativity target. So I might play two of these in that deck and try a version that, that that's trying to get these out and then plays more um, cheap instant speed interaction. So maybe like a Jeskai build, which would be nice and budget um, for, for people. Maybe mm. even one that's not a Dwarven Mind deck um, because that also could be a good budget fit for people. So maybe just uh, blue-red or, or something like that, but cutting down on the number of fetches that you're required to own. Yeah, I like it. I love this. I'm excited to see your, you know, especially it's exciting because like you are a creativity master. Just like, you know, <laughs> you played a bunch of versions, you know, the deck like through and throughout, you know, like if anyone can put the shoehorn this into a creativity shell, you can. So I'm very excited to see what happens. Yeah, at, at, at minimum, it'll be fun. Yeah, there we go. It looks sweet. I actually totally overlooked this because it had it was seven mana. So I was just like, and moving on. Shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have done that. This is this is sweet. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it, it, it's easy to miss things like this. I know? watched I watched Zach play this most rec decks. He was juggling Ice Fang Coddles, and his opponent was just like not having a good time. Yeah, I think I was watching. Well, that I, one. I don't think. I mean, I am 
one of my favorite things that happens to me all the time in Magic, both building decks and, and playing cube and things like that, is I'm not a great person at solving these sort of synergy things before I play the deck. I just build decks and go play them. And yep. then mid-game, I'll be like, wait a minute. I can do a thing. I didn't even theorycraft this thing. This wasn't even, even intentional. I just did it. Like, I just wanted to play Snapcaster Mage and Ice Fang Kotal in this deck because they draw a card and they're flash and they trigger. I didn't realize I could start bouncing them. Yeah, I, I, I love that. You know, it's just... It's a lot of fun. I think when I was messing with the original song decks, we were going super hard on song. I played one version with three Noxious Revivals, and I was comboing mm -hmm. off, and I just started like Noxious Revival, like some things. I drew a second one. I'm like, what if I just Noxious Revival my Noxious Revival? And I start doing that, and then I'm just like, oh shit, like I think this is a loop that I had no intention of like discovering, but you know, it's a loop. I, I love those little moments. Well, I'm sure that this set is going to be or or prove to be much deeper and i think this is true of almost every set right like it's it's in the the coming weeks and months that we'll start to see a trickle of some of these less seen or uh like otherwise discarded cards you know the draft chaff will start to make it into decks here and there and people will be like oh yeah this card was actually kind of cool and we totally overlooked it so uh, <laughs> yeah I love these moments. But yeah, I don't know. This set feels um, pretty deep to me. It feels, I, I, I think it feels higher power than the last one, whatever. It, uh, <laughs> the Forgotten Adventures of the Realm? No, no, no. The the other Innistrad one, even. Oh, yeah. Oh, geez. Wow. I can't even keep up. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> Midnight yeah, Hunt. Yeah, wow. Midnight Hunt. Yeah, yes, Midnight there Hunt. There we go. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty hyped for this. It seems like they're uh, you know they've given us some nice artifact toys, and we've got Dominaria and the Brothers War coming. So I'm just uh, oh man, generally hyped. I'm I'm salivating for Brothers War, like Alex salivating, like give me those artifacts, you know, like I'm like shit's probably gonna get banned. Not gonna lie, you know, if you make I an just, I just want to see Dominaria united in this set so bad. I'm just so excited for them back to back. Returning to Dominaria, baby. I'm, I'm very excited for Dominaria. We we did discuss a good chunk of the meta, you know, at the beginning of uh, uh before we started talking about the cards, and and I think the only thing that's like really worth saying is again, wow, is everything wide open? But Belcher won a second challenge. Yeah. Yo, go Bob. Bob is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, apparently a member of our Discord, and I say apparently because I had no knowledge of this, but Jiggy was cheering him on all day long and also made top 32. Congratulations, Doctor. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it was, it was a Dr. rough one. 6-3 total. Yeah. I do got to mention, actually, Bob was the person who founded the Five Color Nib Discord. Like, he was the... What? Yeah, and that's how I, that's how I know him so well. It's like, I joined a week after it was founded, and I obsessed over Niv, and then I became the second admin there. And this was, you know, like the before times, like they're like, I don't even know, God, this might be 2018 even. Like, geez, maybe 20, I don't even remember. But like, yeah, so Bob and I go way back and it's, we'll run into each other occasionally. Like he's, uh, so it's just super exciting to see Bob do so well. Oh yeah, congrats. And for those fans of uh, hyper linear degen combos, like you yourself are, Rune, um, you know, you've been saying for a while it felt like the metagame was a little bit soft to this, and, uh, you know, Sodek and some other people put in the work to develop Belcher into a really exciting deck um, for people who like that kind of stuff. You're working hard on Grinding a Breach. I got thrashed by Ad Nauseam, so uh, <laughs> there's definitely... 
a vulnerability in the metagame uh, as cards shift around. You know, people play specific sideboard hate against the Cascade decks a lot of time, and they try to make sure that that, that those cards stretch into being against other decks. Um, and then there's decks like Four Color Sky Noodle, which is just very, very vulnerable. So, yeah, I, I uh, just so fascinating just watching like good good time to be a combo degen. Oh yeah, I'm you know I'm having a good time. Bob is Bob is having a good time. Just yeah, I guess maybe we one another episode we should talk about Belcher more, but it's just so fascinating. I mean, across the paths is just the stacks that he that yeah the stacks are that nuts. stuff's crazy. I finally started listening to uh, Dominaria's Judgment, uh, not because I never wanted to, just because I'd never gotten around to it. And they uh, were talking about all the different ways that the deck goes off with um, Pyromancer's Ascension, which I, I didn't really understand. And hearing about it, it's like some of the lines that you tell me about when you when you pull off with Grinding Station uh, is just like really really crazy. But yeah, it was the TLDR is they they can go deterministically infinite with a with the pyromancer's ascension but on magic online it's a bit of a nightmare but if you know how to do it i've seen someone do it in like four minutes five minutes and considering that some of your other games are going to be about one minute long you'll probably be okay yeah i i do gotta say i the a couple days ago i was watching spike streaming and bob got on spike was an oswald and bob got paired into him and it was like game three and spike had an oswald and a thorn of amethyst and like like these two other hate pieces and then it was Bob's turn, and like so, Bob Bob Castry crossed the path, paths like you know stacks his deck, passes the turn. I think Spike gets a two for a second hate piece. I think he has him. Uh, oh yeah, he has Phyrexian Revoker and a Thorn of Amethyst, and like you know passes back. Uh, and then Bob draws a card, so it's not the miracle card. Uh, casts a ritual into Valakit Awakening, uh, pitches his hand. Uh, plays of fury gets rid of like wipes the board uh passes the turn upkeep force of vigor spike clearing the rest of his stuff spike passes back and the next card bob draws is um uh, uh the miracle card and then just like goes off so it was just wow it was it was in i was i asked him i'm like like what happened bob just like did like did you plan this he's like oh yeah he's like the plan was to val- put valkyrie on awakening on top awakening into all the hate pieces and then draw the miracle next turn draw and awakening into all the artifact and hate piece kill and then draw the miracle next turn and then go infinite i was just like holy shit amazing that's awesome so if, if you want if you want to like if you want a big brain deck that, you know, like, if you want to stack literally your whole 60 cards, <laughs> I do have to mention that after you activated Char Belcher 2, you get to stack your deck again. So, like, you can just, like, if your opponent's protected, you can kill one of their things and stack your deck. So, it's just, I mean, I've, <laughs> I've had Bob beat me even though I've had a grinding station on board and, like, I ground him twice. And, like, somehow he's still, like, planned ahead for that. It's just, it's just wild. It's just, Belcher's a fascinating deck. Sweet. Ah. I'm gonna have to give that one a try. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's because it's probably gonna be a lot of losing, a lot of frustration. Oh, yeah. But I, it seems to be like what I guess a more general pattern, especially watching Bob consistently do so well with uh, Belcher, and especially I think he's been playing for Belcher roughly as long as I've been playing Breach. You know, especially seeing my results with Breach just kind of stack up and up and up and get better at it. It seems to me that like spell-based combo is in a good position, but you really, you know, like you need to know how to play it. Yeah. Like if you really want to take full advantage of the full things, but like if you're willing to put in the time, I think as Zach mentioned, you know, like okay, like there's 
pretty decent lulls in the meta where just, you know, all the hates for Hammer Time or all the hates for Cascade and you've got this little window to be a spell-based combo deck. And if you know what you're doing, I think, you know, you can really do well to succeed. Hell yeah. Well, let's come up with new combos. <laughs> All right. Well, we've definitely got some uh, cool combos and, and uh, some combinations of cards to look at, but I think we're going to take a little break, right? All right. Welcome back. Uh, so I had talked a little bit last week or two weeks ago with uh, Mordekaiser and Arun here about some um, nonsense that I was getting up to with the Wayward Guide Beast uh, and, and a particular in- interaction I was interested in, which was bouncing Dorvin Mine. Um, you know, just making a lot of one ones, being a generally pretty cool dwarf uh, attacking in. Um, and I, uh, I started to, to put some of that into practice. Um, and so I started with a mono red list that played a bunch of burn spells, Ragavan, uh, the eight bushwhackers, and, uh, it worked. It was actually a very functional deck. Um, I did pretty well with it. I took it to a three, two. I actually think it could have been a four, one. Um, but it turns out that the guide beast, uh, plan and the bouncing of the Dorvin mine basically never came up. Um, that it just mm. it won too fast. It turns out that when you got bushwhackers <laughs> in your deck and you just dump some stuff onto the board, you can just win through combat damage. Um, so I uh, I don't know if this is just a worse version of eight whack or if it's slightly different or if there's any upsides. I actually haven't played much eight whack. I like tooled around with it once. Um, it works amazing. You just turn off that brain and you turn on that aggro. And well, it's beautiful. And that's exactly how this functioned. Uh, but that isn't what I was going for, right? Like, I was really particularly interested in um, the Guide Beast abusing Dorvin Mine. So I shelved this list, although I do think that there is something worth pursuing there if you're into aggro strategies. I still think that the, the Dorvin, or the, the Guide Beast in particular, is, is just a super cool card. The longer I play with it, the more I familiarize myself with the patterns around it, the more I like it. I actually think that it is far more powerful than people give it credit for. Even if it's just bouncing a land turn after turn, um, it means that you get to keep some really sketchy hands otherwise because you're going to be able to cast stuff in your second main that, you know, if you were stuck on one land, you you never would have gotten away with. <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah. So after that, uh, I turned towards some um, red-green lists. Um, you know, I was we had talked about some some lists in that space. Uh, Arun, you had mentioned some like legends and you know, Mox Amber and doing that sort of thing. Um, but because the mono red list didn't pan out quite the way I had wanted, I wanted to do something a little bit more prisony. Um, Renin Six obviously seemed like a natural fit here. Like we're doing stuff with lands. We want to be making land drops, recurring fetches, so that we can fetch more Dorvin mines, things like that. Um, and so I started trying to come up with lists that were, you know, kind of uh, more prisony. But the thing I kept coming back to is that most of the red green prison style lists want to play Blood Moon. And uh, that mm. does not function with Dorvin Mine 
Uh, it also does not function with Urza's Saga, which are the two <laughs> lands that I'm specifically looking to abuse. Um, and so Blood Moon is out, which is a bummer. Um, and I don't know. I just kind of, you know, I, I put some cards in. I took some cards out. Uh, and I just never quite came up with anything that I was super happy with. Um, you know, the the thing that came up in the red list is that I didn't really make it to turn four to bounce the Dorvan Mine in the first place. And if I did make it to turn four, there was usually something better to be doing because it would win me the game immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I was thinking I wanted to to draw it out, but maybe a, a red green list that is actually trying to ramp would be the right way to do it. Um, so I, I tried some lists where, you know, I jammed explore in, um, you know, was just trying to get additional land drops. I looked at, uh, Azusa even to try and get the Dorvan mine online earlier. Um, but I just never came up with anything that I was like super happy with. Um, and I, I ended up moving on to Boros colors pretty quickly, so I, I didn't actually test any of these, but I think that if you're interested in the red-green space, and I still am, I think that there's probably a good list there. Uh, I think I'd want Renin 6, that's that's pretty much a shoe in um, and then probably like a liquid metal coating and liquid metal torque package. Mm-hmm. I think that rather than trying to speed things up and get a Dorvan mine online earlier, it makes sense to slow things down and keep the opponent off their lands so that they can't do a whole mm. lot. I like this. I, I I like the switch from, you know, just like, it was the best way to maximize Guide Beast being, you know, you want the synergies like turn four, right? That's going to be a little slow. Like, you know, and Guide Beast, you have the tension that it just wants to kill your opponent fast. So to come up with the hamper your opponent's mana, I think that's a really good solution, really creative. Yeah, Guide Beast feels like uh, a weird tempo card because you're kind of like generating tempo advantage for yourself. You're getting in these like little chip hits. Um, but yeah, you don't... I mean, I guess you it works as an aggro card, so I don't want to say it's it's not an aggro card. But uh, yeah, it's a little bit awkward in, in a slower deck um, because it, it's a very aggressive slanted card with the trample and whatnot. Um yeah, so I, I think I would go for like a, a red green land destruction style deck, but probably not playing uh, the actual land destruction spells uh, like Stone Rain or Pillage. Um, I think I want something a little bit faster than that if possible. So like Boom Bust would be good, maybe Cleansing Wildfire, um, you know, just to keep them off colors early if possible. I think a lot of people are pretty light on basics right now and so uh, a well-timed cleansing wildfire might be enough of a a stumble for the opponent that you can you know get your engine online and then once you have karn online you know i guess it doesn't really matter how you win um (laughs) yeah so i don't know there's still some more uh to explore there and i actually still really like the idea of the the mox amber and the legends and going a more creature route um i think that could be interesting but uh, so, so much to test. Yeah, there's a ton here. Um, you know, I got sidetracked into Boros. Uh, when I was thinking about land destruction with Karn, I was like, oh, you know, Ice Nine had like such a sweet land destruction deck, and it's so light on threats. You know, like he was winning with what Magus of the Tabernacle or whatever. It's like a one six. Yep. And um, and the uh, Goblin Dark Dwellers. And eventually con- conceded to play some. 
Ah, uh, Storm Breath Dragon? The, the one with the pro white, right? Yeah, yeah, Storm Breath. Yeah. Monstrous. <laughs> yeah, it, it does have monstrosity. <laughs> so, yeah, I was thinking about that, and then I was like, you know what? Maybe Guide Beast is actually a good fit in that, because that deck can definitely slow the game down, and it was so light on win conditions that it felt like adding in the Dwarven Mines is actually an upgrade in terms of additional win conditions. And then, you know, the Guide Beast is like, it's one more damage than your Tabernacle, your Magus of the Tabernacle is going to deal. So, um, mm. so I started with uh, that in mind. I uh, created a Luris Companion deck. Uh, my first iteration had four Guide Beast, four Pillage, four Stone Rain, four Mana Tithe, four Bobble, four Soul Tithe. Four Brought Back, four Prismatic Ending, four Lightning Bolt, a Shadow Spear, a Pithing Needle, a Pyrite Spell Bomb, and 21 lands, including four Saga and four Dorvan Mine. Um, and this was like kind of functional, but the, the three mana land destruction was just not quite good enough without a way to ramp into it on turn two. Um, I didn't mm -hmm. feel like I was doing enough to like disrupt. Um, and to circle back a little bit, uh, for those who are unfamiliar with it, uh, Soul Tithe is uh, a sweet card with Luris. Um, and this is one and a white for an enchantment aura, aura. And it says enchant non-land permanent. At the beginning of uh, the upkeep of the enchanted permanence controller, that player sacrifices it unless he or she pays X, where X is its converted mana cost. So basically, this is putting a tax on a permanent um, that they have to pay on upkeep. And my thought... What set is this from? Uh, is this from Ravnica? I think this... No, no, I believe it's uh, Time Spiral. Time. Hmm? I think. Oh, let me look at it. Uh, Return to Ravnica. Guild, uh, Return to Ravnica. That, yep. that, Whoa. That gate crash, I'm not sure. No, it's Return. Is that RTR? That's RTR, yep. right? Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, wild card yeah so this card all right think about it when your meta has a bunch of evoke elementals that people are ephemerating when it has reanimator targets when it has murktide regents these are all things that people are playing big creatures that have you know they're they're cheating them out in some way um even sarah's emissary and uh um you know emrakul like okay slap a soul tithe on it past turn now the opponent has to pay the full cost for their Murktide Regent every turn. And if you cast it on turn two or turn three, you can't afford that. Uh, so you end up having to sacrifice it, and your Soul Tithe goes to the graveyard, and then you bust out your Luris, and you start slapping it on any other big threat that comes along. Um, I think it's pretty sweet. I think it's good tech. Uh, Mord seemed to like it. I'm going to get to this in a little bit, but he ended up playing the deck. Um, and he did he did seem to appreciate the soul tithe tech uh so there's my my hot tech for you this week that's that's it you always find the most interesting like pieces of tech brian like first you're like oh um conflagrate and song creation now it's like oh you know let's do what is this card again soul tithe soul tithe, soul tithe <laughs> in with luris it's like all right you know like you know i can't i'm not allowed to be skeptical because you came out, you know, I would have never thought of Conflagrate and Song of Creation, but that was kind of the ticket to click it. So, you know, can't, can't be skeptical. I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty curious about this. I'm curious to hear how it, you know, as you test more and more with it, just like, what are your, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's, it's good in a vacuum. I think it's good in the meta that we're in where people are getting mm. stuff for cheap and can't afford to pay for it later. 
I think this deck is not a Dwarven Mind deck. Uh, I don't it's very possible. think that card makes any sense in this deck, but I do think you could play some copies of either the red-white ETB tapped artifact land to target with Boombust, mm. um, or um, maybe, I, I'm not sure on the color requirements because you're already a bit stretched, but uh, Dark Steel Citadel, I think that's probably not going to work. Um, but you need... Oh, well, Flagstone's a trochair. Yeah, there we go. No, Flagstone's play Flagstone's a trochair. For sure. Um, yeah, th- this, I think this deck is, the, the suffering here is there's too many good different ideas. Um, well, I don't even know if they're good. Obviously, that's, you know, up for debate. I'm not saying they're bad, but there's just a lot of different stuff going on here. And, like, Boom Bust without more land destruction to supplement it, mm-hmm. it's just not going to be good enough. Yep in my opinion, at, like, denying resources versus, you know. And then Curse of Silence is a very cool card, but I don't think it's a main deck card. Ah, we haven't gotten to that yet. So this... Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's, all, it's all good. Uh, so that was my, my original uh, version, and I had played mm. with that for mm. a little bit, and I came to a lot of the same conclusions that you, you had. Uh, so I, initially, mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. the Stone Rains and the, the Pillages, um, and I... Decided that they were not quite good enough without being able to ramp into them and cast them a little bit earlier. So I went to Boom Bust. Uh, I cut the pillages. Um, and I ed- ended up also cutting Brought Back because I wasn't reliably making white-white uh, on turn two. Uh, and it didn't feel like it was contributing to the plan. Um, sometimes it helped ramp to the Dwarven Mine a little bit earlier. Uh, or I'd get a fetch and a bobble back. But ultimately, I just wanted more ways to slow the opponent down. So I brought in Esper Sentinel. Uh, I tuned some of the numbers. I added Curse of Silence, and I moved the Mana Tithe to the sideboard. Um, and this was intentional. I think that Curse of Silence belongs in the sideboard, not in the main deck, but I wanted to see how I liked it. I wanted to you know, test it out. So that's what Mord ultimately ended up taking through his league, um, was the, uh, the version with the curse of silence in the main but i totally agree curse does not belong there uh it was uh it was a lark i uh i followed my heart and it uh it led me astray hey there's some sometimes you gotta make the mistake to learn you know like there's no other way to learn than to just let's see if this works and oh it doesn't work but you know like you learn that it doesn't work yeah uh i you know it was my thought at the time was that I'm going to be removing their early plays, hopefully like causing them to stumble enough, and the Soul Tithe is good on bigger stuff. And so like if I'm afraid of a removal spell or I'm a re- I'm afraid of a uh, a cheap spell that I know they're going to be able to slip through, I want to tax that. In practice, I ended up drawing all of my Curse of Silences in my opening hand and never drew them on like turn three when I wanted them. Um, and in a vacuum, Manatite just fits much better here, right? Like it can tag Man- on. Manatite and Esper Sentinel, so hot. Like I've I've been wanting to put that in a deck for a while, but never gotten around to it. But can you imagine your opponent pays the one for the cast a spell, <laughs> pays the one for Esper, and then you Manatite it? Like holy shit, that's gotta feel so good. Yeah, that's that's so hot, dude. 
So, uh, yeah, you're, you're spot on, Zach. Um, I definitely want the Mana Tithes main again and the Curses in the board. I do think the Curses can do some good work, but it helps when you know what your opponent's already on. Um, and I agree that Boom Bust is probably not good enough without additional land destruction. It just it wasn't, it wasn't doing enough. All right, so I just want to uh, just ask or like kind of ask slash point something out. I'm looking at this Boros Beast deck. It's a saga deck. You don't, uh, you know. I think I, I think all saga decks should pretty much play a Springleaf Drum. Like I, I just, it's just too free. It kind of sucks sometimes, mm -hmm. but other times it's just nuts. The other thing is that sometimes happens is like, you, like you get the opening hand. I actually got this once against four color control. Like turn one, uh, what is just like turn one, land amber bobble. Emery, cast, uh, use tap the mox to cast Springleaf Drum, and then tap the Emery to cast Ragavan, uh, and you know like that, like boom, we're off to the races. But the other thing that I think is like interesting is sometimes you know instead of casting Ragavan, you just go turn one Emery with mox up, and you've got a spell pierce in hand, which is pretty nice. But turn one land Amber Ragavan Springleaf Drum means you can actually hold up uh, Mana Tithe. Mm -hmm. And so, like, you know, they go to, like, they spend their turn, they bolt your thing, you tap the drum, you mana tight their bolt, and then you just, like, win the game. Yeah. I will say that the games where I started with the turn one Ragavan and it got to connect were obviously much better than... It's, than... <laughs> it's incredible. Like, I love and I hate Ragavan. I hate that I have to love and play it. But, like, so, damn, it's so... I'm. It's nuts. So, it's, uh... I don't know. I I'm gonna I'm gonna tell uh, Mord's story here real quick, and then I'm gonna talk about my own experiences a little bit. Um, he ended up playing this as a Dono deck for me, and uh, I really appreciate that. But oof, it did not perform well. Um, we didn't even really get to see it in action because he just got flooded every single game. He was just ripping land after land after land. He even shaved oof. on lands from what I had been playing, and he still was just ripping lands. Um, How many were you on? I was on 24. He uh, was on 23. So he only cut one, but still. Yeah, does Guide Beast contribute towards flooding? I don't I have no idea. I've never played with the card. Like, does it... I'd imagine if it connects early, you're, like, drawing more lands, and then you can't play them. So if you... Yeah. You know, like, if you wind up drawing four lands, but you're really only playing one every other turn, I could imagine... I could see how that could make it feel like you're flooding more. Uh, that didn't seem to be the case in the league that I was watching. I felt like he actually didn't... Like, he did end up bouncing lands with Guide Beast. Like, that did happen, but... I didn't feel like it was... Like, he was actually just drawing into lands turn after turn. He gotcha. needed relevant spells, and he was drawing lands. Um, fair, fair. Yeah, I mean, I was just curious about that. Just Guideward, Wayward Guide Beast is just such a unique magic card. You know, just very... very Chris, very interesting situations. Yeah, but you're right. You know, even if you drew a couple lands and they get stuck in hand, it's going to feel like you're flooding because you're not, you're not playing them. But, like... The dis-synergy between God Beast and Dwarven Bind, I mean, that's just so tough. Uh, it's so good, though, once it's online. Making a 1-1 one -one every well, turn yeah, but and getting, getting, up to getting your man. Four lands. To... Right, I know, I know. I don't know. It's so tough. I... You have big dreams, Brian. I love your big dreams. I mean, if you want to go that route, Brian, you, Brian, you might want something like maybe play two wayward guide beasts, so that way, like you draw them and you, like you know, like turn four, you play your mount, you play your Dwarven mind, you get your token, you play your guide beast, you swing, you pick it up, and like now you're going, and you know now it's 
like, and you've still got the same pressure. You've still got the getting the one run, the card advantage, but you're just no longer forced to let this hand. You like, you know, I mean, you have it in your hand. Like, you almost want to play it around on turn one, but then that's going to hamper your whole dwarven mind plan. So well, maybe the secret is to lean on something like two of them. Yeah. Uh, all right. So my own experiences with it, and I think this is something that's starting to become a little bit more apparent. Like, obviously, I live in magical Christmas land, but watching Mord <laughs> play the deck was in a in a way slightly frustrating because I saw things and like, I just couldn't type like don't do X fast enough. And then he would do it. Right. And the way that I approached and was playing it and the way that he approaches and was playing it, were just very different. And I feel like, um, I, I don't know. I, you know, it, he's obviously a very good player and I would not consider myself a very good player. Uh, and I'm not trying to like be self deprecating or anything here, but I, I do think that I just I, I see things from a different angle and approach them maybe, uh, you know, a little bit differently. And I have had, I think, better luck than him with this deck. I haven't done spectacularly. Uh, I've actually not had a ton of time to play, so I've been doing heads up cues when I can. And uh, I've managed to scrape out, um, you know, three, two in the heads up cues against, you know, very real decks. Uh, I beat Reanimator. Um, I beat, uh, uh, shit, I don't even remember anymore. I had sent, sent you a list of stuff that I, I won with um, or against. Yeah, I mean, I totally buy it. The thing is, too, just like Dono deck, asking someone to play your Dono deck is pretty different, especially yes. if, like it's a pretty unique deck that you've put the time and effort in, especially like some, someone that has just such weird and strange interactions that, you know, even like a good player, you know, there's good players who can just pick up decks and like Mord can definitely pick up decks, but... You know, when they're just like so obscure and so interesting and have all these little details and they have just they when they present such a different axis that most people are used to interacting on that, you know, it's no surprise that you know, I don't think more would even take offense that, you know, just like he probably played suboptimally because the deck is just so unique. And so I mean, it's if weird. I picked up this deck, I'd I'd <laughs> probably, weird. you know, like I wouldn't even realize the punts I was making, to be perfectly honest. I'd be the, just like the first seven matches i played with four color sky noodle i think i went oh seven or was like the second league into the third league and i just couldn't figure out if i was making mistakes or like what was going on with that deck and mord is an absolute master of that with like even if he's like half asleep and finds <laughs> insane lines so i mean this deck does offer that that kind of amount of non-intuitive interactions and cards that are in it you know yeah i that's all I, I don't know circling back to you you think this is not a dorvin mind deck though that interaction I, I do yeah that bouncing the dorvin mind and getting to replay it every turn felt so much more powerful than bouncing urza saga and getting to replay right. that uh okay then it's not a saga deck yeah i actually don't think it's exactly a saga deck but saga I mean, it, it almost costs nothing to add here. Um, and I will say, really common play pattern, play Saga on turn two, start bouncing it with the Guide Beast until you are ready to start making constructs. Um, and so you just kind of keep it alive, keep it alive. And then your one Saga ends up being this like threat that can't be discarded, it can't be countered. Um, and so your opponent is really incentivized to kill the Guide Beast, which opens up the way for Ragavan. Uh, and so that was actually, I think that's kind of one of the neat tensions is that you have these two creatures. Ragavan is obviously the thing that you want to go for, right? But then the opponent sees the guide beast coming in and like 
making one ones or bouncing the ears of saga and suddenly they're having this oh shit moment where they're like oh i guess i need to kill that instead and they leave your ragavan alone and that that was awesome yeah so i would i would love it brian if like we found time for you to stream this through the discord and like i would love to sit along and like watch you pilot it because this is you know (laughs) i i just i cannot wrap my head around this and i'm super curious of just like the way like how you do it and just like what are the lines like you know what are the line what are the non-obvious lines because i can't even think of what might be the non-obvious lines to me you know just i'm just i'd be i think it'd be i'd be very interested in seeing you you know like watching you stream this talk to the lines because it looks really neat and interesting uh and you know just so many tensions in the deck is always well you know very interesting i there's still there's still a lot of kinks to work out too i think the mana base could be cleaned up cave dan actually suggested going down to one dwarven mine and that might be the way to go i think maybe four is part of the problem because that more than anything having dwarven mines in your opening hand is the clunky part yeah Oh, yeah, that's smart. Yeah, it's a toolbox land, and so you only need the one of it. You can always fetch yeah, it. Yeah, because you can you can fetch it. Yeah, wow, that's a great... I love that suggestion. Yeah, and that opens up space for the artifact lands to help with the boom bust, or it opens up space for the flagstones. So I, I think that's a great suggestion. And I, I do think that's, you know... There needs to be some work on the mana base, and I think that we can come up with probably some even better taxing effects. I was considering Thalia, but there's so many non-creature spells in here that like mm-hmm. she feels a little iffy. Um, but yeah, a little bit more taxing effect I think would be good, and that's why I was trying the Curse of Silences. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. It's <laughs> it is it is yeah. It's I mean it's just wild, you know. Like I still. Still, I might just fire this up in a league when I get back from Vegas and just like uh, crash and burn and just like I just want to know what happens. <laughs> like what what the hell does like what does it even mean to put these cards in a deck? You know, like sometimes you just gotta do it. And like 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 Zach and I were saying, sometimes you gotta build the deck and you play the deck and you learn about the deck while you're playing the deck. Yeah. Yep. There you go. So you are getting ready to go to Vegas next week, right? Woo! Yeah, but let's take a quick break, real quick. I'm gonna grab some water. And then I will talk about how uh, this might actually be the final installment of The Breach Party Never Ends. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, as I mentioned, this might be the final installment of the semi-weekly series, The Breach Party Never Ends. Uh, I've been, you know, messing with Blue Red Breach for the past two to three months now, which is pretty wild to think about, you know, building and tinkering with it. And the big kind of goal is I'm going to SC, I'm going to CFB Vegas uh, on Thursday, which is like so wild because I remember buying my tickets like, oh, that's six weeks away, whatever. And now it's like, oh shit, it's like this week, which is awesome. I'm splitting a room with uh, Chris from our Discord, which I'm very excited for. You know, just good old, you know, just like magic road trips. Just like huge magic events, lots of the gatherings. It'll be very exciting. I've been taking my brewing cap off, my brewing cap off, putting on my tuning and polishing cap. Because, uh, you know, really excited, really wanting to do well with Breach. I did a, I kind of approached this kind of thing as uh I approach it as a training regiment, which I think is kind of interesting. I've been doing re- training on the Peloton, uh, the bike. Uh, by the way, uh, I am Dr. Jiggy Wiggy on Peloton. If anybody wants to follow me, 
Uh, totally go for it. <laughs> Just note. Like I, and subscribe all your rides. Yeah, I mean, you don't, it's not, not, unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. You just get to see how people do. But yeah, I mean, uh, and do, I do want to mention if you follow me, I will follow you back and I will look at your history. I will not, I, I promise I'm no, I will not judge it. I've no desire to judge it. You know, everybody does their own thing. But I'm just curious because, you know, it's pretty cool. You get to follow your friends and see what they're doing. So I've been doing some training on Peloton and they're pretty interesting because I didn't realize that. They kind of go by progressive overload. So you start off doing, you know, less or three workouts a week, but they start like 45 minutes less intensity. And then the second week, you know, maybe they're an hour less intensity. The next week, they're like an hour more intensity to kind of get this ratcheting up. And then before the final test, you know, like at the end of five weeks is a fitness goal. The final week, you actually ratchet down and, you know, just do like back to easy ones to kind of get yourself ready for the big event. And so I've kind of been trying to follow that the best that I can uh, while doing the CFB Vegas thing. So I've been playing on the, um, and actually the timing worked out perfectly, but I've been playing most of the Sunday challenges because those work with my schedule. And then, you know, playing in some leagues during the week. Uh, this past Saturday was the showcase challenge, which was pretty exciting. I was very excited for kind of like, showcase, holy cow, showcase challenges are brutal. Like the competition is nuts. Nine rounds, like nine is actually really great because, you know, good training because gonna be eight rounds day one and then you know six to seven day two so it's good to be if you these big paper these big events in general especially paper they're taxing <laughs> like yep. they're it is not easy to sit down and just play match after match after match especially if your deck goes to time a lot then you're in extra trouble uh but so the showcase saturday catch on on saturday which i kind of you know uses my big final my big final push in training is like the big event before the fitness test which would be cfb vegas uh and i I mean, I started off 5-0. It was so sweet. I beat Four Color Control, uh, and then I beat Murktide, and then I beat Four Color Sky Yorion Noodle, and then I beat Murktide again, and I was feeling like great. And then I ran into TSP Yendrick playing his Grixis Lurs pile, and I was like, there's Holy no way in shit, hell dude. this is going to do. But what like, is with this day you had? There, every single deck was blue. It was nuts, but I, I somehow I managed to win 2-1. Like, it was... You know, like, it's yeah. like, I had one turn to draw Breach when they were tapped out and I had nothing and, like, I hit it on game one. <laughs> game two, I got slaughtered and game three, you know, it was just pretty close, but I managed to pull it out. I've also started, like, in the super grindy matchups, I've just started sideboarding out the whole combo. I keep, I keep in three Breaches because, like, a value Breach is great, but, you know, I'll take out the grinding mm -hmm. station and the Oracle and just adding in other things because, you know, like... Are you, are you seriously killing people with blue-red Sagavan at that point? Uh, yeah, you know, I grinding them. It's pretty wild. I mean, I crush, crush, burn like that, but dude, it's all dude. We we need we need footage. We need some kind of content for this. For the so you've got you've got our Discord where you talk about this in depth. Is there anywhere people can get information on how to play this deck like Doctor Jiggy Wiggy? No, I need to. I need to. It is on my to-do list to make a, a primer for this deck, and I'll probably do one after Vegas. Like I think I might do like a big sure, tournament sure. report primer because I've been thinking a lot, and especially. The big thing is the sideboarding plans have been getting really, you know, mm -hmm. I'm very happy with my sideboard now and like really, uh, you know, just like learning the sideboard plans, what to side out against who. And that's been really enjoyable. Uh, but so after, so I somehow miraculously beat Yendrick. Uh, round six, I played four color control again. And I lost in like heartbreak, like, oh, so close, just like game three, it was a heartbreaker. And then I actually... The next round opponent uh, was on, uh, no, I, beat, I, mean, I actually forget the, 
I forget the other loss. I lost to four color control and I lost a four color sky noodle. And then I beat Amulet. And I forget the last one, but it was I was 5-0, I lost, then I went dropped to 5-2, and I went up to 6-2. And my last match was against uh Martinez uh DP on four color Yorin Sky Noodle, which I felt really good about. But the once again something I want to mention about these especially challenges showcases your opponents are like they are the best of the best of the best like just because four color sky noodle yorion midrange is like an amazing matchup i mean martinez is like the founder of the deck they knew exactly how to do it like i took game one pretty easily game two was pretty close but they knew i had think i had a heavy urza saga and, and they saw that so they set up for just you know get witness ephemerate like they went right for the witness ephemerate uh prismatic ending loop to like keep my constructs down and then just kind of outground me and the game three was pretty close but also pretty similar where you know they're just able to set up that loop pretty quick i mean they're, they're down to one life for a number of turns and like it was it was it was a wild 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 game. it was a beautiful game uh super close uh and so i wound up five three in total uh all my losses were like in close game threes though so that, that felt pretty good and like you know just a coin flip away uh from doing better but it was it was a lot of fun and it was brutal. And I mean, I do just got to mention the opponents. Like, they're so good. Like, all the opponents are so skilled. They know their decks so well. Just, you know, I'm, I think we were talking about this a bit beforehand, but I'm pretty sure that most of the Vegas players will not be nearly as good as these Magic Online players. Like, it. Well, I think, I think if you make it to day two, then that's what you're going to expect. Yeah, yeah. But day one, you should, you should hit some softer competition yeah that that said i mean this is a big event people are trapped like it's a big big cost to go yep so i mean there are people who will show up just because they can but there will be a lot of people who are putting in the work to uh really try to take a good shot at it but let's let's see you hit that day two get in that that publication of deck lists because yeah. I, I know you can do it so I've, the only thing to do is go there and do it exactly i believe you know I, I feel really good about the deck so just go over i'm i would at this point i say i'm 100 settled on my 76 of course you know wouldn't can't do, can't do 75 <laughs> like you know we'll, we'll deal with it like at, at this point you know it'd be like cutting my losses and admitting defeat so we're gonna be 70 76 for life uh uh, my creatures, so actually that is pretty center now. Uh, four Dragon Rage Chandler, four Ragavan, four Emery, one Oracle, three Expressive Iteration, uh, just because once again, you know, like four is a little clunky. It's got not great, there's a Saga synergy, uh, but otherwise the card is nuts. The other thing to mention is that uh, Expressive Iteration is pretty interesting because no matter what the board state is, assuming mana is not your limiting factor, Expressive Iteration reveal your top three or show your top three if you hit emery and a breach and then the emery mills a grinding station you can actually like that that's a kill on the spot essentially assuming you have the zero cmc so iteration has that value in that you know like it's always there if you've got an iteration in hand and if your mana is you know like not an issue it's actually it, there's always a possibility it could win on the spot uh, which is kind of nice to have, you know. An oops, I oops, I win button. You know, I'll take those three wins. Hell yeah! Turn, especially tur turn two wins. It's just like I just love it because it's just like screw you. Turn four formats. It's kind of <laughs> like you're, it's kind of like you're stepping on modern a little bit. It's a little dirty, a little fun. Uh, I've been the one thing that I have changed a little bit is in my you know four removal spell slot. I've tried 
four bolts. I've tried two heat, two bolts. I've tried four galvanic. I've tried galvanic blast. I've tried, you know, unholy. I've tried the whole iteration. I've come to the conclusion that I'm just playing four heats, no bolts. I think I, there there's a very rare occasion that like, oh, you want the bolt, but the heat being able to deal six is just so useful. Like being able to tag a prime time against amulet can like save you one or two turns, which wins you the game. The other thing is. This deck has a real big Tarmogoyf problem, because Tarmogoyfs are very, very big, and this deck also makes very, very big Tarmogoyfs. And, you know, like, sometimes it's 6-7 out of range, but, you know, you can never bolt a Tarmogoyf, but oftentimes you can't unheat it as long as you or the opponent doesn't have an enchantment in the yard, uh, which has come up huge. Oh yeah, that my other loss was to Jun Saga, that's what it was. And it was once again, like, a close 3 Heartbreaker. Although game two, I did win on a multi four, which was like so sick. Wow. Because uh, my rag, my ragavan survived turn one, and then I hit a Tarmogoyf, <laughs> and then they got mana screwed, and then I just I don't even know what the hell happened. But it was like I was like, it was I was discouraged, and then I got that, and then we lost a close game three Heartbreaker. So I'm on a four and Holy Heat now, and I think I'm gonna I'm gonna keep with that, and you know I do miss the direct damage sometimes, but just the six and Delirium is so easy to enable, like. You know, I've had Liam on turn two pretty easily many times, just being able to tag anything. Also, you know, just kill their straight up Renin six after they plus it, kill it to Fairy while they plus it. I've killed to Fairy fives with their plus ones on the stack the turn they play them, and that is huge, especially against the control decks that have gotten super big now. Uh, so that's my so that's kind of the you know the non artifact core. My artifacts, I've got one Aether spell bomb, which I will never ever ever cut. I've got four grinding station. You know, I'm. You can argue that three is also a fine number, but I just I want to maximize my free wins. Want to maximize my my comboing, especially game one. You can always hide them out game two, but having four game one is just always nice. Just kind of you know game one's the game one is the game you're most likely to combo with anyways. So just being able to maximize that is really nice. I have four bauble, four amber. Once again, you can probably do three amber, but you know I, I just want those free wins and. There's also times where you cast Emery and like with the breach out and you need to hit an extra amber if you don't have the grinding station or something so that way you can get the extra mana to cast it. Uh, so that four amber comes up a lot. Uh, my little toolbox now is one Pything Needle, which I moved to the main deck. Big big uh, fan of I, that. Big fan of that. <clears throat> yeah, it's just too it's too easy, it's too nifty. Uh, just the one one of the big things too is it stops the graveyard hate. So like if you wanna comp they wanna you know, they have like their Tormont script or their whatever, the Gravy Hard game, their Nile Spellbomb game one because they're John Saga. Like, it isn't out to that, so you can still combo and win, which is super useful. Uh, one Shadow Spear and Spring Leaf Drum is amazing. Then, my last flex spot I've chosen is Talisman of Creativity. Uh, I really, you know, I, this was actually an idea from Diablo, Diablo uh, XC, and I, I've just loved in the list. It's really nice having that extra ramp. The other thing that I didn't even think about is that it functions as another. Uh, another way to convert red into blue. So if you're comboing off and Ragavan is your Mox Amber enabler, you hit this and then you can cast this for two red and this adds the blue. So then you can escape your Emery and start tapping Amber for blue. And this is relevant because sometimes if you're comboing off with Ragavan as and Mox Amber, sometimes if your Spring Leaf Drum and is too close to the bottom, then you won't have enough time to like escape that, then escape or then escape Emery and just to float the two blue four Thassas. So this is kind of just another failsafe. And then also, you know, the mana is nice. Like turn one, shit, like turn one, one CMC artifact. Turn two, uh, talisman into Emery is a really nice play that I've been liking a lot. I uh, don't even side out much. So it's 
yeah, I've liked it as a wonderful flex spot. I'm um, on four breach because that's the key card in the deck. My lands, one island, two misties, two mountains, four tarn, three steam vents, four saga, two foothills. And then, I hate to say it, I cut Manamo. I had to do it. <laughs> I, I've played two Spire Bluff Canals for 20 lands total. I had the Manamo for a while. And, you know, I was going to be like, oh, screw it. Like, I won't, you know, like, I'll just play. I'll just play because I love it. But... You know, the, especially having the four Darcy, four Ragavan, you really need those red sources. And I've had to ship multiple hands, you know, like where you have turn one, you know, where you have Manamo Saga and like a whole bunch of red cards. And if that Manamo was, uh, and, they, and then you have an Emery too, but like if that Manamo was a uh, Spire Bluff Canal, then you get your red cards and then you get your blue cards for Emery. So even though, I mean, untapping Emery with Manamo to recast a bobble is a drug. I will not, I will not lie. I love it and I miss it, but it just, it wasn't worth the squeeze. And then for my sideboard, I've got two Dragonslaw. Uh, these are mostly for the burn and like quick red aggro matchups. I really like Dragonslaw. It is pretty narrow, but like it's helped with the matchup so much and it's got a good synergy with the deck otherwise. Two Engineered Explosives, two Lightning Bolt, two, Malik, two Metallic Rebuke, one Spell Pierce, four Spreading Seas. Uh, this was you know, huge shout outs to uh, Sorin, aka First Turn Negator. Uh, who recommended this tech to me and has just been amazing. Great at hammer time, uh, great during the Jun great for Jun Saga, great against Burn also, just bring it in all over the place. Uh, one Tormod's Crypt, and then a little spice, I'm actually slightly unsure, but I think I still want to keep it as one Mog Salvage. <laughs> this is the Nemesis reprint into Modern Horizons 2, two in a red instant, destroy target artifacts, but if you control a mountain and your opponent controls an island, you can cast it for free. And this initially crossed my mind because I was like, oh, you know, I'll just stick this in and then I can start comboing with Breach. I can mill this and then I can cast it for free and just shatter the chalice. It turns out, as Jack is smirking, you cannot actually do this. And I learned this the hard way in the challenge on Saturday when I was like all prepared to do this. And I was like, wait, like, what do you mean I can't cast this for free? Like it says cast for free. Uh, but sadly, yeah. does so not work So this like is that. an alternate casting cost. And uh, turns out that the uh, mechanic that makes Breach work, that's giving your cards an alternate casting cost. And the way magic works, you can't use two different alternate casting costs. So oh, uh, additional a... costs can stack up as much as you want, but alternate costs cannot. Um, honestly, sometimes it's written in such a way that it's very difficult to tell. But if you do look it up in the comprehensive rules, it'll usually tell you just in plain English, say, this is an additional cost. This is an alternate cost that does bloody bloody blue. And so again, uh, alternate costs, you must choose one. Additional costs, as many as you like. Yeah. Well, and yeah, that's giving the card <laughs> escape. That's what it, you know, it's like how Snapcaster gives yes, things yes, yes, flashback. Sorry which correct yeah the flashback cost is equal to its mana cost so yeah this is why you can't flashback um archive trap with snapcaster yeah right, so I, right, I, right, because I, it's actually giving it an alternate yeah. cost makes all the sense but this, this was pretty heartbreaking not gonna lie to like be like wait why can't i, I had beautiful aspiration i'm just gonna shatter their board and move on but that did not happen uh, however you know i've kind of only got one main deck artifact hate card like it might be maybe i need more destroy artifact cards but they're just not too big of a deal and i've also got two ees to kind of cover my bases but like being able to cast it for free instant speed it's kind of nuts like it's just like it's like this is in your hand you're like wow i can like do whatever i can do this whenever however for free an opponent never sees it coming which is great there's also the mini combo of spreading sees them and then you can cast mog salvage for free 
which actually comes up a lot because the most of the decks you bring spreading seas against you also bring in mog salvage um and like i've done that a couple times which has been a lot of fun uh so you know if i was going to dedicate more artifact hate spots you know i might just like switch it up but because it's only one and it's still nice to have when i draw it and anyways i normally have enough mana when i'm comboing that like i can fit in whatever you know like if it were mog salvage versus Prismari Command, it wouldn't make too much of a difference. Like, they both still would cost three mana the turn that I'm comboing anyways, uh, if I wanted to play them from the graveyard. So that's the, the full 76. I'm not going to make any more changes. I'm very happy with how things are. And, yeah, I'm super excited for Vegas, and I will have a good tournament report, you know, a nice little debriefing. And, you know, maybe I'm hoping to... Like, my goal is... My big goal is to make day two. But, like, I, I you know, I think I can do well. Like, I would love to make a, make a heavy run for it. Just... You know, just the more you play, the more likely it is you will make that heavy run. I believe. Also, want to mention that uh, Chris, uh, Texas Tough from our Discord, mentioned too that by playing Saga in the main deck, is that in paper I can probably get so many people who aren't going to fetch in response to it because they're just like out of practice in paper. Mm -hmm. And so that'll be. And you will. Just oh, yeah. go get them. Oh, yeah. I mean, go get I mean, we're, we're going to win it, you know? The goal is to win it, and we are going to, you know, still be good components, still, like, have a lot of fun. But, you know, like, if yeah, I yeah. wind up, like, getting a cheesy Pythonil on a fetch land, I will take that. No such thing. It's, it's not even a great play sometimes, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah sometimes I just do it because I can. Yep. So, yeah, so, once again, super excited for Vegas. I will keep everybody posted and have a nice little report, and, yeah, it'll be, you know, I'm, I'm super excited. I'm, like... As it's dawning on me, as it gets closer, like I just—it's like wow, like I'm getting really excited for this, which is super fun. Oh yeah, it's—I'm—I'm I'm jealous, I'm jealous. See so, yeah, next well, time, uh, next big one, Team Trio, Serum Vision Trios, let's go. Um, we have—you uh, know—you have brought back and popularized the Grinding Breach deck, um, you know, fairly single-handedly in in terms of bringing it back into the game, into the the, the top levels of the competitive scene. Um, but there are people who are working hard on it, trying out different things, uh, competitive grinders and good players who are picking it up. So um, in the show notes here, I have three alternate takes that have done well um, recently near the bottom of these show notes here. So I have uh, Moksha who played Jeskai with some Teferi Time Ravelers, uh, Alakai who played Jeskai with Esper Sentinels and Teferi, and RNG Specialist, and who's not the only one who's done this, who played it with um, Teamer with uh, Ren and Six, uh. Sideboarding Veil, and and wilt i believe first turn negator also did that yeah yeah it's actually i faced rng specialist he was on blue red murktide in um uh like in the chat in the showcase and they mentioned like oh mm -hmm. like like this is the breach list right like i played a league with that and i loved it uh so that was like super he, he cool with it yeah yeah, yeah and that, one of the team versions. he's like he's I, I think he's a local to me i think he's a torontonian that's it yeah he says he's like man like after i crushed him in two games also the thing is i'm pretty sure this deck has a great murktide matchup i don't know why but, like, I don't lose to them, and Mord also doesn't lose to them either, which is, like, really interesting. I think they're just, you know, they're not quite controlling enough, and they're not quite aggro enough to, like, really, you know, they're, like, a little bit too much mid-range, and I, we just get gets the sweet spot. Uh, Alakai is actually one of Diablo, Diablo X, XSC's uh, good uh, friends and compatriots. Also a friend of Z-Rips and from our Discord, uh, who also kind of, I think Alakai helped to come up with the... Uh, the list the light white splash list that played teferi in the sideboard and just like prismatic endings and uh chromatic stars they're super cool to see yeah i've been seeing it more and more and like out there and i know uh soren uh 
Firster Negator is doing really well, like playing in Paper 2. Yeah, it's just been super exciting to just see, you know, see more in leagues and see more people playing it and, you know, doing well with it and enjoying it. Uh, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, just... And I'll, while here, I got to do give a big shout out to our Discord, who's, once again, like, everyone in the Discord has really helped me tune this deck, really given me so much encouragement, like, oh, especially, you know, Zach, you and Brian, you know, like, oh, you're doing so well, like, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up, like, yeah, it's been, you know, the Discord and both of you have been a huge boon, and I very much appreciate all the help and encouragement. Yeah, well, you know, it's, uh, you, you had something that was worth doing, and uh, more and more people needed to get on it, we could have more brains on it. Uh, tweaking out and testing these other versions oh yeah uh, obviously you're pretty locked in on your blue red version um but uh you know people people putting it through its paces and trying out uh different ways that they might try to fix you know theoretical problems with it or mm-hmm. given advantages uh against other other decks in the metagame and uh i think you you might actually get a, a good number of uh wins in paper off of people having no idea what it's about to happen. oh yeah oh yeah i'm, I'm so excited just people are going to be so clueless that said um there was a incredibly technical but absolutely technically correct play i saw someone trying to execute against me which i think is worth knowing because in paper it's really easy to do and online it's a nightmare all right um which is when you're going off if your opponent has endurance and that's what you suspect that they have uh the sequencing you want if you have the ability to do so is that if you've got a mox amber uh if you've got two mox ambers if you have access to two mox ambers while you're comboing uh while you have one in play you play the second one with it on the stack you hold priority and grind the first one and this ensures that at no point are there ever is there ever uh both moxes mm. in your graveyard ah so that if they endurance you you have a mox that's about to resolve and you just get back to work um so they they can't stop you um this also works with a mistress bobble and a mox um they can get rid of your mox but if it's endurance it just puts it back into the library and you just go again so you just uh, go through your whole yeah deck that's again. i've never so in in paper you can introduce the loop and say listen i have this mox yep, yep. in play and i have this mox in my graveyard i'm gonna cast the one in my graveyard hold priority grind that one after tapping it for blue and then keep looping that way. And this way, depending on what piece of in- an interaction they have, they won't be able to stop you. Yeah, that, that's... Because they're always a mox in, in play. That's wonderful advice. Stack. Yeah, I haven't actually... Yeah, I've I, never... I've never had to... I've played it on Endurance a bunch of times. I normally just try and, like... If I suspect Endurance, you know, just, like, wait until you have two zero CMC things on the battlefield, and then, you know, maybe even, like, recast the second grinding station first to just, you know, not care about it. But, yeah, that's... Thank you, but Zach, that's that's super good advice. I'll definitely I'll keep mm. that in mind. Yeah, um, and uh, that would also work in theory against surgical extraction. So if you're yeah. worried about your your mox ambers getting I'd, now, obviously, I'd, in the case of surgical extraction, they could hit the one that's in the graveyard, but not the one going on the stack. So you'd still be okay. But like, again, th- this I think this version of playing out the combo is just mostly entirely correct in yeah. almost yep, every yep. like you should just always introduce your loop this way it online it's horrible it's horrible to do this uh but uh you, you mm, can, you know. yeah wow i hadn't even thought about it. yeah that's a that's great i'm going to loop every way like that now in paper thank you that's a mm. that's a great suggestion that's gonna be yeah, no the problem. tip that wins it yeah 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 i mean i honestly i would not be surprised if like you know that plays around, you know, everything that can hit your cares about your mox ambers. It technically doesn't quite play around surgical 
because like if they if you mill your oracle before and they know what they're doing but also like i won against my primetime opponent in the challenge because they cast endurance at totally the wrong time I mean, I suspected they had it, so I was playing around it. But, like, there was a small window where, like, I had to start playing around it. And if they had it, they could have gotten it, but they didn't play it. And then I played around it, and then they casted it, like, at the end when I could play around it. So, yeah, definitely, I hope to get, I, I you know, the benefit of playing a rogue deck is that people have no idea what you're doing. Can confirm. So I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> hoping, that, hoping that stays. And, yeah, once super excited. Awesome. Well, uh... Cool, cool. Zach. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, we've got all sorts of awesome decks lined up, but we can't blow it all away right away for you guys. We're going to have exciting results from Jiggy Wiggy and some cool deck lists. Uh, if you want, you can check out my stream decker for things that I'm playing or check, check out the stream and ask about it, but I've got some dollhouse builds and uh we've been playing with the uh Holebreaker Kraken, so um Holebreaker Horror, so um We've got so much exciting stuff coming up for you guys in the future. But uh, for now, we've got one final piece of business to get to on this episode of Serum Visions. It's time for a little bit of bumps and dumps, baby! And uh, Brian Brian did a wonderful job introducing it last time. No, no, no. It just wasn't the same. It wasn't (laughs) Um, the same. Well, it wasn't the same. It was unique. It's still good. But yeah, I mean, Zach, you, you, you introduced it so well, Zach. Yes, yes. Well, you know, it's it's just the practice. You know, practice makes perfect. Well, all right. So um, that said, man, do I have uh, some serious bumps to, you know, all, all of these people and bumps and encouragement uh, to all the people who have sort of been on the hype train for Indomitable Creativity, who are pushing it into new and beautiful places that I am not as experienced with and enjoying it, um, taking it to their, their weekly events and sharing that with me and that, that Discord. Um, Waffle Tapa's got, of course, his, uh, like, Titan version that he was helping, he was helping um, do some work in, as well as uh, all sorts of other stuff. So I'm going to try out the, uh, the Hullbreaker Horror, see if we can so find crazy. a version that is maybe a little bit budget for, uh, for maybe that card. Um, but that should be, yeah, it should be super, super exciting, super fun um, to do that I, one. So I can't wait to to get a little I have to done. say, I actually loaned out the Indomitable deck to uh, a buddy of mine that plays Legacy primarily. And he didn't, all he has is elves in Legacy. And so he made modern elves and was just like, yeah, this isn't really what I want to be doing. And I was like, here, you should try this deck. And uh, he's now held on to it for about two months. And I think he has, <laughs> he's never done worse than a 3-1 at FNM and is absolutely loving it. Like, absolutely loving nice. it. So, uh, yeah. Well, there you go. So, uh, and, uh, man, there's, there's just, my world is just hater-free, yo. There's just nothing to be mad about other than the vague uh, problems I have with the shallowness of Dune. Um, and I found another pretty, I found another pretty great, uh, little horror franchise that I was enjoying, um, which was, uh, Paranormal Activities. Uh, this one was a lot more famous than VHS, um, Mm. for whatever reason. Um, but it's like a full length film in all, all four cases so far where it has that kind of, um, not found footage vibe, but like live footage vibe with the creepy mm-hmm. stuff. It's, it's, it just doesn't feel like very film-like. It's only diegetic sound. There's no soundtrack. It's just like whatever is happening in, oh, in the house or in the setting. 
Um, yeah, which I think is like it's just a, like a cool different thing that that I've been enjoying recently. Oh, and uh, rewatching uh, the film or the TV series Arrested Development, which is a riot. Nice. Oh, so good, so classic. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. All right, so I'm I'm gonna jump in. Uh, yeah, I also just similar to Zach. I have a lot of bumps and no dumps. Uh, bumps to the gathering. You know, super excited for Vegas. Also bumps to our Discord. You know, it's starting to. It's still very small, but like the people. Our members are just like pretty invested. It's getting much more active now, just like tossing around ideas for breach and other ideas, and just you're very. We I think we've started to starting to have like a wonderful, very small, just like happy positive community in our Discord, which is super fun to just be able to always check in and like have new threads, new conversations. I also want to give a bump to a new modern streamer, Eyelash TV. Uh, you should check them out. They started streaming only a few weeks ago. They're a Hammer Time expert and just. You know, still relatively small, but very warm, welcoming community. Very funny, very silly. I have just been very much enjoying uh, watching their streams uh, and just being part of the chat. And yeah, I mean, you know, just yeah, they, they did like twelve hours on Saturday, including wow. the uh, the 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 showcase challenge into just like five hours of playing like Hammer Time and Four Scholar Sky Noodle. <sighs> Yeah, they, they, you know, they love magic and you can tell. And so it's like super awesome to get to, you know, watch someone streaming who loves magic and really enjoys it and just has a very positive, very happy community. So that's, that's been, that's been a lot of fun. And as Zach said, you know, I got no haters. Like life is, life is going pretty well. I'm very happy. And you know, definitely bumps to us in this podcast and, you know, like all the inspiration and support we've given each other. It's been a lot of fun and I'm very happy that we get to do this. Hell Yeah uh yeah i i'm just gonna bumps to you guys um watching your results these these past couple of weeks and uh i mean even further back than that uh but just uh you know like you said um the community has been growing uh and i think that is in no small part or due to your successes uh like i you know i think we put out uh, decent content and whatnot but um you know you guys lend me your credibility uh, in a very big way because <laughs> you know I'm out here with my guide beast brews and uh, you're you know top 32 top eight winning challenges. Um, oh well, you you have your own credibility, Brian. You know, just like you don't you don't you definitely. What's wonderful about you is that you don't always play to win. Like you know, you play to like explore the ideas and explore the concepts, and these oftentimes you know just wound up being the foundations of new decks, of new technologies that, you know, kind of get used. So just because just you're over there kind of doing the crazy stuff and not winning does not mean that, like, what you're doing is not, you know, oh. is, does not have an impact. I, what you do is super, I, what you do is great. I, I appreciate that. And that was not, uh, that was not an attempt at, at being self-deprecating. I, you know, I'm just at that stage in my life right now where I, <laughs> I would be playing as competitively as I could if I had the, the free time available to do it. And so... <laughs> if you didn't have a kid. Well, yeah, that's basically it. Um, and, and, you know, I, he is wonderful, and I love him, and I no regrets. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's nice to be able to connect with you guys and watch you guys have success, because mm. I would be right there with you if I had the opportunity. Yeah. And so, you know, it feels good to watch you guys succeed. So... 
Thank you, Brian. Very, very kind words. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a really good point. That like, if if you had the spare time, you know, we'd you know we'd probably be crushing it. Like, we'd just be crushing all you know every new tournament. We'd just be crushing. It'd probably be too much, you know, too much for other Magic players. I you know I was trying to do the do grind in the GPS before he, before the kid was born, but uh, I was mostly playing limited and standard then. So you know that was a, a different era. Well, uh, I tried to share your uh, child-rearing technology with the guys on the dive down, so you're going to have uh -oh. to uh, listen to <laughs> some of the episode. But uh, suffice to say that the, the happy sun and the happy moon uh, little display didn't work for uh, some children. Uh-oh. Um, so, uh, uh, and, of course, certainly doesn't work on infants. Um, so... <laughs> you know, they're they're too young to understand but the some some four to six year olds are just like hey i want to do the thing and it's like but we we explain the rules to you and you're there you and they're like yeah i don't care well uh, so maybe you're the lucky one who got the kid who at least tries to enjoy uh his rules and boundaries no no everything's changed he's uh he's entering into the three-nager stage and uh he um we're best friends in the morning until my wife wakes up and then as soon as she's awake uh he's like go away and physically will push me out of the room um and uh he's very good at ignoring <laughs> me now i'll ask him a question and he just like like dude can you hear me no response until i say something he doesn't like and then he freaks out so yeah yeah fascinating can you believe this is how we all humans were at one point <laughs> we were all these things that just like were petty and ignored just our parents for no reason and like this is just what it takes to be a functional human yeah. later in life yeah well, it's it's wild watching the developmental milestones. I mean, there was a point a couple of weeks ago where it was like very clear that he transitioned from like not understanding that he wasn't this like he thought he was the center of the universe, right? Like he thought that everybody had the same knowledge and understanding that he did and, and whatnot. And there was like a moment and, and it was like very, very visible where he realized like, oh, they're other things in this world and it's very large and i'm now terrified <laughs> it's sort of the very first existential crisis yeah I mean, he went from like he didn't care about the dark to like what's that in the dark there's spooky noises in the dark what's outside what what's out there what's going on it's like everything's fine buddy it's it's the same it's, it's our house we're safe in here but it's dark i don't know what to tell you turn a light on Will you carry me? <laughs> uh, all right, I'll carry you. I mean, to be fair, I feel like I was I was scared of the dark in my house at night when I was the only one awake until I was like, I don't know, 13. Like just every now and then you just get those creepy creeps, sure. you know? I, you're just like, you're just like, I don't I don't believe in any nonsense, but I don't feel comfortable right I, now. I get it, but there's an age where you're too young to have that concept, and I've just watched him transition from Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From... But he's just tipped yep, into yep. it right 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 well because it's it's understanding it's like wait a minute mom and dad aren't just like benevolent <laughs> gods they might be something like me and th then maybe there's ones that are not so nice yep yep uh, amazing just man i can't i can't wait to have kids and just watch these things be like watch their little brains have these like mind blowing all the time it's pretty must magical be, must be so cool but get your wins in now my friend get them in now yeah yeah exactly that's what we're doing <laughs> <laughs> Because you're not going to get any more until that kid goes to college. Yeah, it's, it gets easier. Yeah. It gets easier every day. Modern Horizons 8. We'll be back. <laughs> All right. No dumps from me. No dumps from me. So, uh, yeah. 
I guess we'll catch you after Vegas. Um, I hell yeah. We'll, we'll make sure to keep the uh, the Twitter updated. Uh, so either you can tweet or uh, you know pass pass along messages in the Discord, and I'll make sure those get tweeted out, and uh, you can follow. Yeah, along yeah, off. definitely. I. I have not decided, but I definitely, either through the Discord or through Twitter in some way, I will definitely be having a little thread of just, like, how it's going. Fantastic. Those are always fun, you know? Like, and if I'm, like, you know, I think the other cool thing about playing a rogue deck is there's, the there's I think they're doing text coverage or, like, text and pictures, but it seems like they're going to be, like, pretty legit about, like, the old, like, Pro Tour, like, before the, like, b- before they had the cameras, like, they would do, like, pretty decent text coverage of, like, play-by-play in the games, which I think is kind of implied they're doing here. Uh, so that could be fun, and you know, playing a rogue deck is always fun because it makes you more likely to get uh, to get coverage, which is like honestly, oh, yeah, they're always they're always hunting for the spicy XOs and X ones. I like anyone who's still in contention but playing something sweet. I I, I won't lie, you know, I'd say playing a rogue deck is probably like twenty five twenty five percent of the reason I play a rogue deck is to just you know like if there's you know just be a little unique and if there's coverage, just like make it more likely that like I'll be featured. Like that's you know it's fun, I, it's absolutely. cool. Absolutely. I'm 100% with you. I love being, you know, doing doing well with a deck that people are like, what the what? Yeah, so I'm super excited. I will keep everybody updated. And yeah, I will, you know, I'll be repping my, I have my nice, some uh, Faithless Brewing playmat. I got the beautiful Niv one. I am ready to, ready to represent. She got you a Serum Visions one. What were we thinking? Man, yeah, that'd be sick. I would do both, you know, in that case, I'd probably play two playmats because they give you more space now, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, um, I, I have our lovely logo uh, that's going to be added to my stream real soon uh, as a visual thing. So uh, nice, gonna be really, really exciting. And it looks like Brian's doing a little show and tell of his yeah, wonderful Serum Visions playmat. That... So we got to get that a design, and then uh, so that people can get their own printed. Or yeah. um, I would, you know, I, I would love that playmat, Brian. That, that it's so beautiful. The color scheme is so nice. It's really, really beautiful. For those who can't see it, I, I guess uh, we'll try to get a picture of that on our Twitter, because um, it's uh, purple and blue, and then the logo that uh, Brian's Brian's lovely partner did for us. Yeah. So. I will, I will ask her. Uh, I'm sure she can get this. I think she just got this printed at Inked Gaming, so put that yeah. out there for yeah well if she's got the file we can make that accessible to people on our discord who want to get their own printed because there's wonderful uh services like inked gaming and etc <laughs> i mean my one my one issue is i would be so conflicted whether to use the faithless bring one or the serum visions one you know like that's just, just the, swap back and forth that's the other oh yeah in my bag right now is the uh-huh. every other round i like that idea also, I, I, I have a Lion's Eye Diamond playmat, too, that I just, like, I love the Ooh, card. and That's a beautiful piece of art. Yeah, it's just like, oh, like I want to use it for my legacy tournaments. It's like, if, like, I'm playing a turn one Storm deck with Lion's Eye Diamond, like, should I really have a Lion's Eye Diamond playmat? Like, is that, like, too much giving away? Is it, I don't know. I also haven't played legacy in a long time. But, yeah, very, I want one of those playmats, Brian. Let's make it happen. Well, as Brian tried to take us out of here, <laughs> that's going to be all for Serum Visions for this week. So, uh... Brian, have a lovely one, and uh, Arun, Godspeed, my grinding Hell friend. Yeah. Hell yeah, I'm I'm psyched. You know, for our community, for the Faithless Brewing community, for our podcast. You know, like I feel feel like I'm representing a lot, and I'm pretty excited to get to represent a lot. Awesome. Have a good one. Bye. Right, take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to episode 30 of the Serum Visions podcast. If you like what we do and you want to get in touch with us, you can find us at twitter.com slash serumvisionsmtg, email us at serumvisionspod at gmail.com, or join us on the Discord from the link in your episode description of your podcast player or at serumvisions.podbean.com.
Have a sip of your Blink Moth tonic and open your third eye. This is Serum Visions and this sentence doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to episode... Oh, I just want to say this is getting too meta for me, Brian.